You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Thank you so much for coming to yet another episode of this little series within Disability After Dark that I am calling Quarantine and Chill, where I sit down with disabled people and disabled friends of mine and we talk about the impact of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic on the lives of disabled people because I think this is such an important topic that is getting consistently overlooked within disabled communities and I think we need to talk to everyone about this. So that's what this episode is. This is Quarantine and Chill Part 16 that I'm happy to bring you on this Friday. So let's get comfy, cozy, crippled, and quarantined and let's get started. On the episode today, I'm happy to bring back a past guest on the show. She was on episode 24, way back at the beginning of the show, and we talked about women and disabilities, and she's my best friend. Her name is Kristen Williams, and her and I have been talking throughout the pandemic about her experiences. She lives in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which is anybody who's listening in other parts of the world, that's the capital of the country of Canada. And we sit down, and we, she, she lives in a care system much like I do. She lives in a assisted living, supported housing, care home. That sounds weird, but it's a care, it's a supportive housing care environment. And we talk about how because her care team over there doesn't seem to have really strong beliefs about what the coronavirus can do, and they're not very concerned, they're following public health requirements but they're not requiring their staff over there to wear masks so we sit down with her and we talk about we ask all the usual questions that we would do on a quarantine and show but we also talk to her about why she made the choice to cancel having her care team take care of her for the past few months she really hasn't had any care and we talk about why that's important and i really wanted to highlight this because i think if you're a care provider if you're care attendant didn't think that the coronavirus was important or, or, or threatening you or the care team that was meant to support you, if they didn't think that your, that the virus was, in, was harmful to you and just went on like normal, how would you feel? And so we kind of delve into all of that with her. And so that's what this episode is about. During the recording of this episode, we had a fire alarm. So I, I, I think I think we tried to, I think I said in, somewhere in the recording that there was a fire alarm, but uh, it was a really, really important discussion about what happens during a pandemic when you don't have care. 
So I really wanted to bring it forward, and I love my friend Kristen, and I thank her for wanting to be on today. So um, here's my interview with my friend Kristen Williams on part 16 of Quarantine and Chill, right here on Disability After Dark. Gonna press record. That's recording. Good. Um, Christian Williams. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey. You are my best friend, so it feels weird doing a professional podcast with you. And you've been on the so show weird. like three years ago now. Yeah, feels, maybe a long time ago. Which feels oh, it's cute. You're trying to be professional. It's adorable. Just be with your weird Christian self. This is actually my personality. What do you want me to do? That's better. <laughs> Our whole friendship was her being like, what do you want me to do? Anyway, hi. Um, welcome back to the show. Thanks. And I've been wanting to do another episode with you for a while. So quarantine and chill felt like it was the best option because you and I have been talking about COVID for well, since before COVID started. We've been talking about COVID. Like three months straight. That's all we've talked about. Pretty much since January. More than that. Like six months now. I guess. Pretty much since before it became a thing. But um, yeah. So this is just an excuse for me to have you back on the show. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself back to the audience. Tell us who you are and what you do. Okay. uh, My name is Kristen Williams. I do support work for people that have experienced violence, and I um, have been having a pretty rough go of this whole this whole COVID situation, like you know, Andrew. So that's kind of why I'm here because it's supposed to be COVID and chill, and I'm not really chilling. So no, it's uh, it's your you and I have many yeah. You and I have had many late night phone calls where you're like, I think I'm going to die because of COVID. I think I'm going to die. Yeah, like, um, I'm going to get it. I probably already have it. Yeah. Now, you're somebody with CP, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And you, and you just because the audience can't see you. And you use a wheelchair, yes? Yep, all the time. So, so how does, normally, like pre-COVID, how does your disability impact your day-to-day? Like, what does your day-to-day look like? So I live in an assisted living building, which means that I have care staff that is on call when I need them. But I also have like regular care, uh, uh, one call in the morning and two calls at night just to make sure that my care needs are met. So that means like personal care, showering, getting dressed, helping a little bit with meals, Um, even though I just like to eat garbage whenever an attendant leaves. But, I mean, garbage is the jam. What's your favorite thing yeah. to eat that isn't healthy? Um, right now, Miss Vicky's original chips. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> and if anybody who's not Canadian is like, what's Miss Vicky's? They're the best chips in the world. If you're not from Are Canada, they Canadian? I didn't are, know that was a Canadian thing. They're like soups Canadian. No one, no one else in like the rest of the world knows what they are, but they're so good. They're like kettle popped. I don't know. They're just amazing. They, you'll get so... You'll get many, many tummy aches from eating them because they're so good. But they're baked and not fried. Kristen's <laughs> <laughs> trying to say that they're, they're, they're still bad for you. They're uh, so healthy. It's amazing. So back to the point of the question. So what? So your care, you get one call one call in the morning, two calls at night, and then you have three calls in the day, and that's it? Yes. But, like, uh, they're long calls. Like, my, my morning call is an hour and 20 minutes, usually. So during that time, I get up shower, 
get dressed, uh, like sometimes have help with breakfast, even though, I mean, like who eats breakfast? But, and then my two later calls are half an hour for like eating and then later going to bed. So undressing, putting on pajamas, getting in bed. And all, just because we're talking about COVID, all of that stuff requires usually pre-COVID, like close proximity to a person. They have to get right in your personal space and help you with all the things, right? Oh, yeah. You can't do personal care without being in someone's space. It's impossible. Like, how could I shower with someone two meters away? Yeah, (laughs) it doesn't really. So, like, because I think people don't understand, and I've been saying this a lot on these episodes, that, like, we can't social distance. It's really hard for a lot of us to properly social distance because we need to have people in our space all the time so so it's really scary to kind of have to navigate all that um it's not even really hard it's impossible like you literally can't there's no choice yeah there's you have no choice of how to do it um how else does your disability affect your day-to-day life say pre-covid and then then we'll kind of talk about how covid has played a role um, well, I have trouble with uh, moving. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so like standing, sitting, like sitting up, like all of that stuff is just very difficult because of the way that my brain injury affects me. So like I, um, things that people I think don't even think about doing, like getting breakfast ready, take super long amounts of time for me when I do them by myself and mostly I do them badly like the amount of uh time (laughs) I spend picking stuff up off the floor or like cleaning up my own messes because I don't have a lot of coordination is a lot like I spend a lot of time just uh doing things that other people would find very quick and very easy to do and you do a lot of like I know because we've talked a lot about about how your body is changing given just your disability like pre-covid like you, you do a lot of pivot transfers and you do a lot of like, you know, trying to transfer to pee and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, like what, you know, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but like, you know, it's so given COVID have those, have the way you've like navigated all those things changed and having to like do all that kind of care. With COVID. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing all of that stuff independently now. So I don't, um, that's your question, right? You're asking about during COVID, how I'm dealing. How you? Well, just like how you are, like doing the trans. We're gonna get. To, I'm gonna ask that question in a little bit. But how are you, like, dealing with like your body changing and all that stuff during the? Oh, I mean, everything is difficult, and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's, I feel like that should be a shirt that every disabled person wears. All the time. I want to have it made. I think I'll make it four on the both of us because I will wear it all the time. I'm like the worst thing about, well, this is not the worst thing, but like a bad thing about being disabled is everything is difficult and you're tired and other people are like, but you could do more or like this shows me that you you can do this. So why don't you do it all the time? It's like, it's not that you could do more. It's like there's an, there, yeah, there's an expectation that you should do more. And it's like, what if I don't want to, what if I just don't? If I lived independently all the time firstly i couldn't it's impossible as i've discovered thanks COVID. um but like it's exhausting and i have no energy for anything else so it's like do you want me to exist like 
this and not have energy for other things or should I get some help with stuff and be able to actually do things that I want to be doing and spending my time not just focusing on the things that I really struggle with you know yeah it's it's real and because of COVID like we have all this I think also because of COVID right now we have all this extra time to like sit and think about that and think about all we could be doing or should be doing or should have done and if we had done maybe more with our bodies we would be less you know and all of that's just internalized ableism but because we're just sitting Mm. here kind of isolated we have all this time to to think about it more (laughs) so (laughs) it's just something I I like that you bring it up because it's something that I didn't really think about until you said it like there's so much time to think about all the things you should be doing as a disabled person right now or or things that able-bodied people have told you that you could have done and maybe if you did do it you'd be more independent now during COVID which is all internalized ableism but that's sometimes when my brain is gone. I just want to clarify that it's not only internalized ableism, it's a complete bullshit. So like every every time someone is- <laughs> That was a great clarification. That was an awesome <laughs> clarification. Very necessary. Because like every time anyone's ever said, oh, Kristen, like you could actually do this yourself. The answer has always been, yes, but it's exhausting. Like, not that I've always been able to say that answer because sometimes I think to myself like, oh, I could and like, oh, I should or, oh, like I'm not that disabled. Like, no, I'm actually substantially disabled. And like the expectation that I am not doing enough is just pure ableism because like, um, and it's because able-bodied people are uncomfortable with uh, disability. That's where that comes from, right? They just want you to, they just want you to stop being so disabled. So they encourage you to do more things when really it's not, not only not possible, but it's not productive or useful when you could be doing other things that are maybe uh, of more interest and less difficult. When you could be doing things, especially right now, that make you, we need happy? as disabled people, yeah, we need as disabled people right now to feel happy and feel joy and feel supported and feel safe. Because not only do you have physical disabilities, but we've talked at length, you and I as friends, just about how we both live with depression and we live with depression brought on by ableism and we live with all these things that are directly correlated to our experiences as disabled people and so we were talking last night on the phone just about how you kind of live with also some some mental illness and all that stuff like together and so how how is your mental health as a disabled person right now um it's not as bad as it was at the start of covid when i panicked for three months at least, like oh, maybe I remember. Two, two and a half i just um uh, that was really difficult because there seemed to be a general belief that like disabled people's lives were disposable and I struggle with depression and anxiety for sure but I've never fucking felt that my life was disposable and there's that fear about like if I get COVID which is not unlikely if you have care all the time if I get COVID and I need to go to the hospital are they going to pass me over for treatment are they going to give me a ventilator? So all of that, all of those thoughts and fears were plaguing me um, until I eventually canceled my care, which we'll get into, I'm guessing. But like, oh, yeah, that's a big question that I have for you. For the first little while, I was like, why is nobody wearing masks? Like, what what's going to happen if I get sick? And nobody really had answers for me. So that lack of knowledge and this like this uh, attitude of like, you'll be fine, we'll figure it out as we go along. It wasn't acceptable to me and it didn't do anything good for my anxiety. Like, you know when you're in a crisis and you just, 
you need information and everyone's kind of dismissing you and like gaslighting you. It makes everything worse. So all of that stuff combined really made me uh, a little bit nuts for the first little while. And I remember like when, when, when I, when we were talking for the, for the first, I would say month and a half of COVID, we, I had to say to you, like, are you all right? Can we, like, talk about something that isn't COVID-related? Can we, do, can we talk about something that's, like, happy for you? Because I just I felt like you were, and rightfully so, because you were in a, in, a, in a, you're in a care situation. And I want to jump to that question right now in a second, actually. You're in a care situation where the staff didn't really give a shit that that COVID was happening. It seems like where you're living, they didn't really care that you were, you were more susceptible and you had to fight <clears throat> to ask them to do masks and all these things and it didn't seem to be doing anything. Can you talk more about that? Talk more about kind of the decision you made to stop having care? Yeah, so when this first all started happening uh, and like COVID was definitely in Ottawa, uh, middle of March, um, I had been reading about it a little bit here and there and like there was an awareness that community spread had started to happen middle of March and I still was having care every day and attendants were coming in without masks and I was having trouble getting masks at that time and so I I wrote to the management and I it was a huge rambly email where I was panicked and I was like you know I don't understand why staff don't have masks Um, I don't understand what you're going to do if there's an outbreak because they seem to Nobody seemed afraid except for me, and that made me more afraid. So I started talking to the attendants like, you know, you should be wearing masks. This virus is is extremely contagious, and, like, there's a reason the world is shutting down because of it. Um, And a couple of the attendants actually agreed with me. I've had some good conversations both over the – mostly over the phone now, but in person uh, when this whole thing started where they were like, yeah – I, I do need a mask. I don't know why they're not giving them to us. Um, and for the first four weeks of the lockdown, none of the attendants here had masks. And they were telling me that they were following Ottawa public health rules and that masks weren't necessary. The only things that were necessary were social distancing and extra hand washing. And I, I was like, okay, but like, social distancing isn't possible in this setting so you obviously need to get masks and they ignore me for weeks so i went to the cbc and i told on them basically and i said like this organization doesn't have any protection for its workers its uh clients are extra vulnerable like i have this fear that any of if any of us disabled people here get covid or if any of the attendants bring covid in there's going to be an outbreak and then like half of us, if not more, aren't going to live because we have giant underlying conditions that cause us to live in an assisted living uh, building. So all of that stuff was just compiling, compiling and basically being ignored by the management. They were telling me that I was um, uh, leading my life with fear, which I definitely was. But she well, said, of course oh, you would. How would you not, though? How would you how? What are you supposed to do? Just be like, doo 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 it's no big deal. I know, right? And and that was one of the things that really got to me is that the executive director of this organization, which is VHA, if anyone wants an organization to hate on, the management here is terrible. And the executive director <laughs> said, uh, sorry, we're leading with fear and uh, we're leading with facts and not fear. 
and the implication there is that I'm leading with fear and that they're, they and have some facts. fear monger who, the, yeah, yeah, hysterical woman or something. So I just was like, oh, thank you. And then right after <laughs> that, I just canceled all of my care because I realized not only are they not protecting their staff, they have no interest in protecting me or addressing any of my fears. They're more interested in dismissing them, which is still happening in like new and exciting forms. So uh, it's not it's, it's not like they're like, sorry, Kristen, we just didn't. They never said to me, sorry, we just didn't have enough masks. That's why we haven't. That's why we didn't have staff having masks for the first month. They've kind of more said we didn't need them for the first month, which is a lie. They did need them and they just didn't have them. But they decided to, to downplay, to, to it, downplay it and spin it to make themselves look look not culpable. Yeah, which is absurd. But anyway. Yeah. So how do you, you know, you canceled your care, I think, within the first month of it being in Ottawa, right? Like, pretty quickly. So you've now had care for not, you haven't had a consistent care worker come into your home for the, for the last four months. Like, you, I know you've hired or, or hired, like, friends and hired people that you kind of trust to come and do showers and stuff once a week. What has that been like for you to have to lose the basic tenets of care just to feel safe? Um, it's a, been a weird experience because it's mostly been upsetting that I have to do this, but it's also a kind of reiterated. I think a lot of disabled people, myself included, don't realize that when they actually have needs that are not being addressed, uh, we can always find ways to address them. And that's kind of what happened is like, I didn't have this care from this agency anymore because they weren't being safe, but I was able to find uh, two friends who have been helpful and, um, you know, helping me with showers every once in a while. It's not consistent. It's definitely not a substitute for care, but like um, that, that those people are both isolating. They both wear masks when they come to help me. So I found a way to manage despite the fact that like the care agency that I'm normally with was giving me grief and not really addressing any of my concerns. Is there a sense of not comfort because everything is fucked up right now, but is there a sense of like, you feel pleased that you took control in some way? Do you feel like you, you made this choice? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was part of the reason why I made the choice in the first place, like, aside from just being dismissed and lied to by the management of the agency, I also was just like, there's no way to feel safe except to cancel everything. Because then, then I'm going to know that I'm not, uh, I don't have a very high likeliness of coming in contact with the virus. Um, and like, that's what I did. And I, I felt gross and dirty. And like, I didn't shower for some time. At one point, I washed my hair in the sink, which is hilarious. because I have giant, I have giant hair. Like I have enough hair for three people. Yeah. And I just, all, like, through our, all through our university career, we called you crazy hair Kristen. So like, it's, yeah, that's it's, fair. <laughs> that works on multiple levels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like washing my hair in the sink was no small feat but like I needed to do it and I did so you know we talked a second ago about you pivoting and in, in into the toilet when you need to use the toilet and stuff and so without care like one of the things that I think we've talked about and you worry about is like what if you fall what if something happens like the way 
they have made it is because you refuse care for your safety. That doesn't necessarily mean that you wanted care to entirely stop. You still wanted somebody there should you need something. And they've made it impossible to even ask for that. I, we had discussions last week. Well, tell us, tell us the story. Yeah, so I had been calling the attendants every day since canceling in March to, to, to do two things, to cancel my calls, to tell them I don't want care from them that day, and also to check in to see how the attendants were doing because I realized quickly that like a lot of the staff were also scared. Like, oh, like why aren't we getting masks? Why is nobody tested? Which is still the case, by the way. They have masks now, but uh, it's one per shift and nobody's getting tested for anything. So that's great. <laughs> um, but oh, so God. I was calling them every day to, to cancel these calls and check in. And um, it, it was going okay, I thought. And then one day I got this email from management, with, which literally said, Kristen, please stop calling every day. You're confusing the attendance. And I was like, nobody said they're confused. What are you talking about? Like, I, I was like, I didn't understand where this email was even coming from. And they told me that I had been removed from service so that it was pointless for me to call every day. And then they kind of backtracked and said, I'd been removed from service, but if I wanted to continue to call, that was totally up to me. Basically saying that, like, if I did continue to call, there'd be no point, but I could if I wanted to. So what it means to be removed from service is that, like, I can't actually call if I fall. Uh, and the reason they removed me from service is because apparently they need to screen me, who doesn't go anywhere or see anyone or do anything, every 24 hours. Um, and uh, because I'm not available at 7 a.m. when they called to do the screening, like I hadn't answered my phone a couple of times. Because so you're were human like, and you want to sleep. sleep who nice. is awake at 7 a.m.? What? I, like, I just, there's no reason to be awake. I'm in quarantine. But okay. So... Uh, they had taken me off service and didn't tell me, essentially. So I had been calling every day like an idiot, not re realizing that they had removed me from service and been canceling and chatting to the attendants for no reason. Like, uh, and they just didn't tell me. And I, so I said, well, what if I fall? Like, I need to be able to call for assistance. And their answer has been consistent. And they're saying, if you fall, uh, the staff will need to screen you. Oh, sorry. No, they say... Uh, the staff will need to contact a supervisor who will then need to screen you over the phone before coming to help you. So, uh, and like the. Like, that's a huge problem because if you fell and hit your head and you were incapacitated yep. or broke your leg or broke a wrist or broke, or, you know, just hurt yourself. And yeah. Because you, when we fall with our, with our level of disability and we have not the same level of disability, but pretty close when it comes to like falling, if we hurt ourselves. Similar. We, yeah. if we, get scared or something hurts our body goes into spasm and we often are not hurt but we can't talk so if you hurt yourself and we're scared your body might go into spasm and you might not be able to say anything and you might not be able to communicate what your needs were and they wouldn't then help you because you've chosen to to stop care the irony is that they would have to screen you yet they're not getting tested no they're not getting tested they've told me that uh they have no intention of getting tested in the near future because they're a community care facility and not a long-term care facility. And they've made that distinction so that they don't have to get tested. Because everybody that works in a long-term care facility gets tested at least every two weeks right now. Anybody um, listening in, uh, in the States who's, who doesn't know what long-term care is, that's basically like, it's like a nursing home in, in Canada and Ontario for... Uh, 
older people with medical care on site. So that's what a long-term care home is. Like you, you live in an apartment style place where they also have a nurse on site. Where we live is one step below that. There are no nurses on site. There are no um, medical staff on site, but they provide non-medical daily attendant care. Yeah. And long-term care facilities have been uh, a big outbreak place for Ravaged COVID. Ravaged by these, by COVID. It's been ravaged. We've had the majority of our deaths have been in long-term care homes. And so there's been a huge investigation into how long-term care homes are being run, how they're being screened, how they're being facilitated. And we're, we're, we're seeing consistent failures in that population. And what I've been advocating for is, okay, this investigation needs to extend to community care homes too, like where Kristen and I live, because it's really scary that they don't, we're not given the same, we're not Priority given, or, yeah, we're not given, yeah, exactly, yeah. we're not treated the same. Yeah, and uh, there's the same issues here, like I'm not sure why they're even making that distinction, because it's the same problem like all it takes is for one person to bring COVID in and then you know this spread it, it won't take long no and, and it's also funded by people the, that are vulnerable the long-term so. care agencies are funded also by the same agencies that fund our community care so all the money is going to the same place why aren't we allocating some funds to make sure that that disabled people who are not in long-term care homes are also okay because we're only one step down i mean I, i've emailed and texted Doug Ford like a million times and he never writes me back. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you're, not, you're not missing much if Doug Ford is writing back. I really don't feel like that's a huge loss for you. But he's so big on the like everybody needs to be tested. This needs to happen everywhere. Like he's been very vocal about that, but he hasn't done anything to pressure the agency that I'm with. And, and again, if you're American and you're listening, Doug Ford is uh, the premier of Ontario who is basically uh, Donald Trump North. He's kind of horrible. We <laughs> yeah. all sort of hate him here. He's the worst. He's the worst. had a bunch of funding for all the care agencies and, and mostly for long-term care facilities. And now we're reaping those effects because there's not good cleanliness at those facilities. There's a lot of abuse that happens. And like people are starting to finally see that. That's coming to light. So thanks, Doug Ford. You're the best. It's- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty pretty bad um now living you know living all through this this kind of stuff as a disabled person many of us in the media have seen this term the new normal that we're experiencing and so many people without disabilities are experiencing this quote new normal i'm wondering if this feels familiar for you as a disabled person do you feel like there's a familiarity here and do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah, I mean, like, when people talking about new normal and missing other people and being touch-starved, like, stuff like that, it's a bit of a joke to me because I'm like, what do you mean? Like, uh, this is how I have lived my life for years, and it's, it's not... Um, I think this is true for a lot of disabled people because um, the world is pretty inaccessible to us, both, uh, like, physically and with social attitudes. So you and I both do the work that we do from home mostly. And I'm kind of of the mind now where it's like, thank God, I'm too tired to go out and like nothing is accessible to me. And 
you know, I've got some health issues related to my disability that mean I need to uh, be in my accessible space all the time. Like I can't, I'm too old and tired to like go to a new workplace, bitch about how inaccessible it is, bother them to make accommodations for me. And then like constantly have to reiterate why those accommodations need to be implemented and continued. Like I'm too tired for that. I, I, I enjoy working from home. I'm isolated, sure, but like I'm very used to isolation. Uh, I know the power of technology and like how it has allowed us and like especially like even our friendship to stay intact because we can reach each other on phone or on the internet or whatever. But I think a lot of people without disabilities just miss going out so much and miss interacting so much. And I'm just kind of like, welcome to like disabled life. This is this is the way that I think it's always been for both of us. So yeah, I agree with that. Do you, do you feel a sense of everyone is freaking out about the new normal? And, oh my god, everything is so weird. Do you feel a sense of like comfort in knowing that it's you kind of know how to navigate all this already? Yeah, a little. I mean, I still wish I had someone to help me shower, but <laughs> no, but I do, and I also feel like it's kind of validating. To see, this is such a bad thing to say, but it's validating to see all the go-getters and the people that think hustling is important struggle with this because I think people are finally realizing. <laughs> Look like, at that shade. The like shade. This high shade. So much shade. Cause I'm like, all this shit that you thought was important isn't important. Haha. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like calm down, sit down, just, just start up culture. And that whole thing is intensely ableist and watching people have to do that stuff from their home and and be isolated and not have the same options as they would without the virus. It's been a little bit, uh, yeah, like I said, validating because I'm just like, ha ha, like your ableist culture isn't working out anymore, is it? Bitch. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, My next question for you then, as a disabled person, what is the best part of social distancing for you and what is the worst part of social distancing for you the best part of social distancing is not having to cancel on people because i'm tired and um being able to be in a call like a video call or a phone call and just like hit end and then go to sleep like (laughs) i don't have to worry because the way that i am like i i'm I kind of hit a wall of tiredness sometimes where I just, it happens too late. Like I'll be at a friend's house or something. And then obviously this is before COVID. Like you're at a friend's house, you're hanging out. All of a sudden you just get like extremely tired. And my brain is like, oh no, you can't stay awake anymore. Go to bed. Like, and there's no time. It's just like a, a wall. So I have to like pry my eyes open and then call a cab and try to not sleep in the cab, which is really embarrassing. And like, I've had friends film me sleeping because I just never quite <laughs> make it. I never quite make it home in time uh, to hang out in my bed. But yeah, the best part of that for me is then just being able to hang up on people and go to bed. Yeah. Awesome. What was the other part of the question? Forget. And the, the worst part of social distancing for you then is? Uh, not having regular showers, for sure. 
Um, and so just because this this is sort of this is sort of a sex podcast. This is this originated as a sex podcast. So what? I ha- I know, shocking. I have to ask you a sex question. If you were to pick, because you've canceled all your care and now you have a choice of like who to pick to do your care, what sexy person would you want to shower with? Shower have shower you? Like famous person? Sure. I don't Sure, famous person or like somebody who you think is particularly sexy, who would you I don't even know if I know any sexy people. Sorry, everyone that I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who would I pick to shower me? Hmm. Oh, I like Steve Carell's new beard. Probably Steve Carell, but just with his new beard. <laughs> if he shaves, uh, we're not doing uh, it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's shaved now, but... He, Ew, I, I, never I mind. Take it back. <laughs> <laughs> pick a new person. It's- Steve um, you were so close. Does uh, John Kravinsky still have his beard? I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah, him. Emily Blunt can fuck right off, that's fine. I mean, she could be there too. I'm uh, not really uh, into that. And she seems really, like, sad. She could just talk to you in British and it'd be great. Sad British. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, and so you kind of touched on this a minute ago, but can you elaborate more for us? What is, as a disabled person, kind of going through all this stuff, what is the scariest part about, about possibly getting COVID for you as somebody with CP? And what do you think would happen to you as somebody with your disabilities if you contracted the virus? Um, okay, so some of my biggest fears around getting COVID are that I will not be cared for. Um, I'm afraid that if I get it, uh, I won't be able to get care back because they do screening and they don't tell you what happens if you fail the screening. I think they just don't come. But okay, like let's say I let's say they put on hazmat suits, which I hope to God they have, but really who the fuck knows? And then they help me get to the hospital. That's great if that happens. That's what I'll need because I don't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't feel safe to stay at home and struggle with that virus because I think that. With my underlying health problems, like my disability, I don't walk around. I don't have the same lung capacity as other people. It's right. not bad, but it's not great. I, in high school, almost fucking died from the whooping cough. So I'm not going to do well if I get COVID. It's going to be a struggle, and I might die from it. And knowing that and watching other people say things like, oh, it's just a 7% mortality rate. Like, fuck you. I'm in that 7%. No, thank you. So that's, that's my fear. And I also have a fear that, you know, if I, if I realize I have the virus, I won't be able to get to the hospital um, because I won't have help. And also once I do get to the hospital, there's a fear that um, I'll just be passed over in terms of getting a ventilator or getting the care that I need because my life is perceived as less valuable. I know some other people with disabilities have actually like written notes stating why their life is of value. And I'm not at the point yet where I, I still have, I think, a little bit too much faith in humanity where I think that I shouldn't have to write a fucking note say, saying, hi, like I matter, please save me. But I might actually do that if I get scared enough, who the fuck knows. Um, I think that like, even when I've gone to the hospital for dumb shit like a migraine, which like, by the way, is not actually dumb shit. Migraines are scary and, and in my situation always caused me to have extreme nausea which I like can't stop puking and I had one doctor last year say to me like 
oh, you can't stop puking? And I was like, yeah. And I just like nodded because I was nauseous. And he's like, well, like maybe that's normal for you. And I was like, oh no, sorry, there's a fire drill. Oh no. This what is- do I do? Uh, well, what? audience, we're going to just, uh, we're going to press pause on this one and we're going to wait a few minutes we're going to hope that this ends and if it doesn't end we'll uh, come back to this recording later alright we're going to pause I'm not going downstairs okay bye so bye so we had a fire drill during the recording which is a disability after dark first in all this time so cool Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you were just finishing up saying to us how you know how it what would happen to you if you were, became hospitalized and you were kind of saying that you would write a note, you might write a note of how valuable your life is. Like, it's not, how does that matter? The fact that you even have to do that, how does it make you feel? Oh, it's scary. I also just want to say that I didn't die on the, in the fire. Like, thanks for caring. Um, cool. I'm okay. There, there was Apparently a- it was a false alarm, but I didn't take it seriously at all and I went pee. So I'm really glad to hear that it's a because I took it as a key break. <laughs> I'm also glad you're not dead. Uh, and, you know, the scary thing about fire alarms and disability is that, like... I would just go sit on my balcony while the building burned and then eventually burn with it. That's, that's a scary thing. Terrifying. That's a whole other podcast. What do you do? There's a fire in your house. Oh, shit. Um, wine and crime. Do an episode about that. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> but aside from, like, what you... Aside from what you would do if you were to get COVID, um, yeah, what piece mm-hmm. of advice would you give to you? You know, you you've taken all these drastic measures measures to protect yourself right now. What piece of advice would you give to other disabled people going through the pandemic right now? And if you could, like, talking to your mic and talk directly to them, what would you say? I would definitely say, um, listen to yourself and evaluate what risks you can consent to and can't consent to. Like, obviously, as a person with a disability, um, that's pretty substantial. I am really struggling to uh, maintain this because I, I really am in need of care. Like, there's a reason why I live in an assisted living facility, but um, I'm still able to kind of get by without care, and that's a choice that I've made. That's what makes me feel safe, and that's something that I can consent to. Not everybody has that option. Some people need care to to live, not just to function, but to stay alive, Yeah. right? So figure out ways and things you can do to make yourself feel more safe and the things that you can control versus the things that you can't. So like, if you can't control whether or not you have care because you definitely need it, one thing that maybe you could do is uh, reach out to friends for helping you to get masks or figuring out ways to make your masks safer. I've heard different things like, you know, some filters. people are putting filters, yeah, just extra layers of coffee of filters. I've heard, I've seen people like paper put- towels. Like someone told me they were using paper towel, and I was like, that seems desperate. But you know, you do what you can in the in this weird, especially now, like, turvy time where everything is fucked up do we yeah upside down yeah especially now where you have things opening back up again right that's scary so like 
acknowledging that even though the province, our province itself is okay with reopening, you don't have to be. Like, yeah. you can be like me and just go outside and sit on your balcony for 10 hours. It's fine. You know what I mean? Like, everybody consents to a different level of risk. And I think something that's really helped me feel better about this whole thing, which, like, I didn't deal with, I didn't deal with well. Uh, but one thing that's really helped me is figuring out what I can consent to and what I can uh, go without, you know. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think if you're disabled, you have to make those choices and it sucks to make that choice, but you have to, to make sure you feel okay. Um, what piece of advice would you give to non-disabled people who may be going through this kind of social isolation and all the stuff we've been doing for our whole lives for the first time? What would you say to them if you could give them like one piece of advice as a disabled expert who's been going through this? What would you say? I, I think it's a great time to look. This is so cheesy and I'm already sorry, but like it's a great time to look inward and figure out what you would be doing if you weren't, you know, um, trapped in capitalism. What brings you in enjoyment? What makes you happy? And uh what tools can you use to kind of make yourself feel better? And uh, I mean, I'm a big fan. This is also cheesy and I'm already sorry, but I'm a big fan of uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you just basically assess your thoughts and feelings and figure out which part of that is anxiety that's, that's justified or whatever, and which part of that is anxiety that's um, like a, an automatic thought that doesn't really make sense and is maybe a little bit bigger than it needs to be. So like looking at yourself and looking at what brings you comfort and joy. And also like remembering that we are in 2020. We have shitloads of technology. We can see each other through our little computers and our phones. Like you can still socially distance and stay connected. It's not the end of the world. You can physical I, distance. You don't have to social distance. Yes, that's a really good way to put it. Also adopt an animal if you're really touch starved. Mm, I fun. feel like maybe you don't do that during the pandemic. Andrew, get a dog. <laughs> I, I would love to get a dog so much, but my tiny little box apartment, and they told me the other day that they would not help me with the pet using the toilet. And I was like, well, that doesn't, I need help to get the dog outside. That's all ridiculous. So it's all, they would, so that I feel like that would be cruel to the animal. Yeah, what about a cat? A mm. rabbit? <laughs> rabbit. No, 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 thank you. No, no, no. Um, what, and then this is a really important one, and I, this is one I think I wanted to ask you specifically because your care situation, as you've outlined, has been less than, less than uh, proactive about this. Uh, they've been less than active about this. Forget pro. They've been less than anything about this. What, uh, what if you could speak into the mic right now to the executive director of any care place that doesn't give a fuck about what's happening, what would you say? You're in the wrong job. Like, it, it, we're not, they, they're kind of operating like we're not people and that there's no actual concern. They, their ultimate concern is for their business. I believe the reason that people here aren't getting tested is because it would cost the agency money to ensure that all of their 400 plus staff got tested. Uh, there are seven buildings in this city that, you, that use VHA, um, so seven assisted living buildings that are with VHA. They have over 400 um, staff and they're not 
they don't care enough to get people tested and to ensure that none of those people are positive but asymptomatic, which is not unlikely. Like, I'm sure it'll happen eventually, and they're not doing anything in, in the way of preventative measures, and that's upsetting. Like, I just think people that are at the top of these agencies have lost a lot of their empathy, have, have uh, decided really for have us. I don't know. I mean, I, I like to believe that they did, but you're right. Maybe they never had it. And they've decided for us that our lives are not really worth protecting. Um, every, everything is reactive instead of proactive. And that's an issue. Like their, their attitude seems to be that they're hoping to just fly under the radar and hoping that um, no one will catch it and that they'll just coast. Uh, but we've seen the way this virus works and we've seen that with the long-term care facilities and such, it, it, that's not a, a, that's not a good risk to take. Like it's likely that eventually someone here will bring it in. So um, without that acknowledgement, they're not being proactive and they're, they're just kind of, we're just kind of sitting ducks, which is a problem. That's not a way to run a care agency. That's the opposite of care. So. I would say get another job. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think you muted yourself. Did I? Yeah. Okay, I can hear you again. Oh, the thing, the connection went unstable for a minute. God damn it, Zoom. Um, I think we're good now. I hope. I hope I'm hoping we're good. Yes. I'll, do I'll double check. Uh. <laughs> So the last thing you would say to anybody listening about COVID and disabilities is? Do what's right for you and stay safe. Just prioritize staying safe over anything else. Cool. Thank you. Bor. Thank, I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences of having to cancel care and talking about the impact of care on COVID because I think it's really valuable and it's a part of the discussion we haven't really delved into enough at least from having like talking to people it's been all over like like uh blogs and things but I think hearing it from someone's mouth is much more powerful um so yeah you're welcome thank you for that how do people I want to highlight the kind of stuff you do and what you do and when your kind of socials how do people get a hold of you uh yeah good question uh i'm on facebook uh i don't really like facebook um if people want they can email me kristen.williams should i spell it k-r-i-s-t-e-n dot williams w-i-l-l-i-a-m-s 10 because i'm the 10th one one zero at gmail.com so kristen.williams one zero at gmail.com i also have twitter I forget what my Twitter handle is. I think it's like KW155. And my name is Kristen Unsatisfied because I'm very unsatisfied. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make, I, I know what all those socials are. I'll make sure they're in the show notes uh, for this episode of Quarantine and Chill. Kristen Williams, thank you so much for coming on Quarantine and Chill. Uh, you know that I'll probably talk to you in five seconds off the air. It was super fun. Uh, thank you for joining me today. And I will talk to you very soon. Okay, bye for now. Thanks, bye. And there's another episode of Quarantine and Chill with my best friend, Chris Kristen. 
We can't, I can't speak today. Her name is Kristen Williams. And I, what I loved about this is I got to just sit down with a friend and, and talk to her about stuff that we've been talking about off the air for months and months to bring it to people to show just how people with complex disabilities who need a lot of help are managing the pandemic. It was a really, really important, and as you heard, a really funny kind of playful conversation, but there was a lot of serious issues underlying that, and I was really proud to bring Kristen on to speak with her. Um, she's really someone who's really important to me, and I'm really glad that we got to do that together. The Quarantine and Chill episodes are not done, though, and I'd love to have you be a part of one of them. If you want to be a part of a Quarantine and Chill and tell me how your disability and the quarantine are affecting you, you can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com using the subject line Quarantine and Chill. Let me know some things about you and why you'd, want to, why you'd be a good fit for a guest, and we will get you booked in very soon. These episodes are going to keep going for as long as they can because the quarantine keeps going for as long as it is going. So I want to be a gentle, friendly, disabled voice for you to listen to during this time. Thank you so much for listening to Quarantine and Chill, Part 16. Let's talk soon. Stay comfy, cozy, crippling quarantine, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye. All right, friends. This has been another edition of Disability After Dark. The podcast feed, shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm, of course, your number one career cripple and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in DisAftDarkPod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020